We're preaching our way through First Peter. And by the way, the reason I use a stool, for those of you who don't know, is because, uh, and I will use a stool from time to time, Jesus taught, and that's the way the rabbis taught. They taught sitting down. In Matthew 5, 1, you'll, you'll see that, Ma- that Jesus sat down to preach the Sermon on the Mount. And there will be sermons in which it is more counsel than exhortation. And this sermon is more a counseling tone than an exhortive tone, and so it's just more comfortable, more natural for me to sit while I speak with you. Uh, it's also harder to hit me with objects that you throw. Let's go through, and I'm going to be talking mostly to the women today. And men, don't start grinning because our turn is next week. It says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one. Now, let me share with you, you remember that two Sundays ago we talked about God's authority and how important that was to his plan in this world. And we also mentioned there that sometimes the authority is not just, it is not spiritual, it is not even reasonable. But we said that as long as it was not immoral, then you were to be submissive to that authority. That's the commandment of Peter. That's not my opinion, that's what it says in Scripture. And so that's how we start out this morning. You know, when I talk to, to people about being submissive, people who are having a struggle being submissive, wives being submissive to their husbands, the first thing they say is, well, if I had a husband like such and such, I could be submissive, because such and such is a real spiritual leader. Well, you don't have a husband like such and such. You have what you have, and you've got to deal with what you have. Just like we deal with our bosses at work. Some of them are not Christian. Some of them are not understanding. We have what we have. Now, there's a warning in here to all you single women. Do not marry. Now, listen to me. Do not marry anyone you cannot look up to as a spiritual authority. You still have it in your power to choose your spouse. And God does not want you to settle for anything less than a spiritual leader in your family. And if you settle for anything less, you're going to be in a way of a lot of trouble later on. Do not marry anybody who is threatened by your confidence, by your spiritual confidence. Do not marry anybody who you will have to bow down with in order to get along with. Marry a giant, you have that option. Because the scripture says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. And it doesn't bend. I mean, there's no, there's no clause in there that gives you an out. Now, let me talk to you wives, okay? And single women, please listen to this. It says how you can approach your husbands. It says that they may be one without a word. Let me just say to you that Peter was married. Remember when Jesus went into his house, he healed his mother-in-law? It, it always kind of tickled me that he didn't heal his Peter's mother-in-law by Peter's request. He had to go do it on his own. But uh, Peter was married. And Peter knew, and this is going to make you mad, that women were good at talking. Women talk. 
practically for everything women taught. Now, they might not do it out in public. They might not do it around a crowd. But you men know that when you get home, women taught. Maybe not, 90, maybe not 5%, but 95% taught. That is what they're good at. And women don't just talk, just communicate. They talk to think. They talk to relax. They talk to vent. You know, when a woman gets tight, wound tighter in the drum, you know the difference between a man and a woman? A man will just sit down and watch TV and forget about it. Not a woman. No siree, Bob. You're in for an hour and a half. That's right, of what they have just been through. Now, I know, I know, some of you are going to say, you chauvinist pit. Well, I, it's not just that. You take any third grade class of kids, and you give those kids a, a test on verbal skills, and the girls will come out ahead of the boys every time. This is not just my opinion. This is the truth. Women talk, and they are good at it. And whether that makes you, you might, you might always want to take me out of here and sue me. Just take me to court and say, this guy's a chauvinist. Look at what he said about women. He said they were good talkers. That's a chauvinist comment. You go ahead. You take me to court, and I'll get a woman lawyer, and I'll get off. <laughs> yes, sir. Because women are good talkers. Yes, sir. And see, now, the Bible warns us not to depend on our own strength, doesn't it? Your strength can also be your weakness. Now let me say this to you as gently as I possibly can. You are so good at talking that you can unwittingly control a man with words. And do you think for one minute a man does not know that? Do you think that for one minute a man, after he's been married for a whole year, year and a half, does not know that every argument he gets into, he's going to lose unless the volume gets up that he outshouts you and scares you. Women argue better than men. Men don't think well on their feet. You're, you know that? I mean, they can't remember details. Women can remember details. You remember three years ago when you said that? You don't remember. See? Now, here it is. Women can control an entire marriage and are, are tempted to control an entire marriage with their conversation. And you've got to realize that one of the reasons for men's passivity is because they know anytime they get in that kind of conversation, they are in deep trouble, and it doesn't matter who's right or wrong, they're going to lose. Let me tell you what's going to happen. To 75% of you married couples who pull out of here today, you're going to get about halfway to wherever you're going, and the kids are going to get quiet, and the wife is going to turn to the husband, and she's going to say, well. And the husband's going to say, well, what? And the wife's going to say, did you agree with that sermon? And the husband, sensing what's coming, is going to try to avert it by saying this. Well, not all of it. And then the woman's going to get down to brass tacks. Do I talk that much? Now, let me just interrupt this conversation by saying this. Do you really think he's going to say yes? I mean, honestly? 
first of all, he loves you. He doesn't want to hurt your feelings. Second of all, he's looking forward to an afternoon of quiet and relaxation. And do you think if he gets into this conversation, this is going to be closed in three minutes? No, sir. Hour and a half minimum. And guess who's going to do the talking? Not him. See, women asking their husbands, do I talk too much, is kind of like the neighborhood bully coming down to your house and knocking on the door and saying, Georgie says I hit too hard, but I don't think I do. Why don't you come on out here and tell me if I do? A smart kid is not going to get into it. So women, don't ask your husbands after this message, is that me? You ask God if you are controlling that relationship with your verbal skills, okay? You ask God that because God will give you an honest answer in your heart. What is the main problem with a lot of marriages today? Men are passive. We're going to be talking about this next week. And women think it is their job to motivate a man. Okay? If he's not spiritual, I'll motivate him to be spiritual. And how does she do that? She tries to rely upon her word. But let me first of all say to you, motivation is not mainly a spirit or mainly a verbal instilled phenomena. Motivation is a spiritual matter. You can rekindle a motivation with words, but you cannot impregnate someone with motivation with your words. If it was once there, you can revive it. You can rev it up. You know, give the old Newt Rockney one more for the Gipper. But you cannot impregnate somebody by simply human words. Enthusiasm literally means God inside. Theo, Theo is God. In means in. Enthusiasm is God inside. Motivation is a spiritual matter. And if you want your husbands motivated, you had better pray that God will get in his heart. Because it's not going to come through you. Sometimes people say, well, prayer is the least I can do. Wait a minute. Prayer is the most you can do for anybody. It is the most powerful force you have at your disposal. And so if you want your husband to be more spiritual, don't try to talk him into it. Because right away, he's going to turn off. What you can do is pray. And I want to say something else to you. Oh, let me give you another scripture for that, by the way, okay? You can, you can uh, look in 1 Corinthians. I just want you to know that planting of spiritual things is not mainly a verbal thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and... and Paul is speaking here. And he says in verse 20, where is the debater of this age? He's talking about spiritual power. He says, where is the debater of this age? Now, you women are the best debaters in the world. Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Listen. If you think you're strong in verbal skills, you wait to see how strong you are when you rely upon just the weakness of God. Now, go down to chapter 2, what it says there. 
Paul starts talking about himself. He says, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now let's star verse 4. Write this on a tablet of your heart. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in what? Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Words are powerful, and you are strong at words. But the weakness of God is stronger than the most powerful persuasion. And if you rely upon Him through you to influence somebody, then He can do it much better than you ever could. One more passage. I want you to look at James 3. And there are several verses in there that, that reaffirm to us that power instructs I mean, words instruct, but they do not impregnate. This says, in verse 2, it says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. And then it talks about how powerful the, the, the tongue is for the next, the next ten verses. And it says, So the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. It compares it to a rudder that can steer the entire ship. It, it says that the power of speech is so powerful. And it says in, t in verse 8, But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, and full of deadly poison. We bless our Lord and Father with it, and with it we curse men. See, it has a power that can be used on either side. Now, after he talks about the powerful tongue and how persuasive words are, for 12 verses, he comes down to 13, and write this on the tablet of your heart, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Friends, I want you to know that God, God can be more powerful in your influence. And, and you women, we're going to have a course one of these months on how wives can be a spiritual influence. It's a, it's a, it's a, a you know, kind of a how-to type thing, so it'll all be explained later. But I want you to know this, that God can work in your prayer life much more powerfully than he can in your words. And I want you to know also that as you are married to a man, the needs of that man change. First of all, the man does not require the guidance that he used to love from you. Many men have married powerful women because they saw in them the potential to help them with their career and to get their life together, and they looked at that strength, and they loved that strength, and they admired that strength. But you know what? A man changes over the years. And over the years, if you keep pushing with the same strength, you are going to become not a guide, not an edifying resource, but an irritant. There are three words that you wives ought to throw out of your vocabulary completely. Don't use them because they do you no good 
and because they are an irritant. After you have been married three or four years, you ought to throw these words out of your vocabulary. The words are, why don't you throw them out? Or you ought to, those are three more, get rid of them. Because the contract changes. The maturity of a man changes. And after he gets pretty well established, you know what he, he doesn't look for all of that edification anymore. He begins to look for love. He begins to look for love. And it doesn't matter what kind of spiritual giant you are. He wants somebody that can love him. And if your words progress and they multiply and you get more and more confident and you think more and more detail and you help him out more and more, you become an irritant because you are concentrating on guidance instead of love. 1 Corinthians 13.1 If I speak in the tongues and men of men and of angels, if I have the most eloquent speech in the entire world, but have not love, what, are, what am I? A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know what? After a while in your marriages, when you start suggesting stuff to your husbands, you can, hear, you can feel them bristle. Like somebody just rang a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal in their ear. You know what happened? You have not emphasized love. You have kept in that edification mode and you have tried to win him with words and win for him with words and win with him with words. But that's not what a man needs after a while. After a while, a man needs more than anything else, love. You know, one time a, a gal came over to our house in the old country and she was having marital problems. And she sat down with Becky and I. And she, she was one of the most eloquent Christian women I have ever known in my life. Still is. There was not a gift that the Holy Spirit had to give her that she didn't have. She had a heart for the Lord like you would not believe. She knew Scripture better than I knew Scripture. She studied more than I studied. She was having problems with her husband because he was not just plain not coming along spiritually like she wanted him to come along spiritually. And so she came over to our house to seek counsel. And she brought scripture and I was sitting there with scripture and she and I were trading ideas and my wife was sitting there beside her and Becky didn't say anything the whole time she was there. And for 45 minutes, we sat there and we delved into prayer. We performed every spiritual exercise. We traded spiritual concepts. And this woman, I was just amazed with this woman's knowledge. And with this woman's tongue, she spoke in the tongue of men and of angels. And when she got done with that, I was so mad at her husband, I couldn't even see straight. And she was madder at her husband than when she walked in. And my wife reached over to her hand and she said, could I say a prayer with you? And she kind of went like that and said, well, of course. And my wife bowed her head and she said, Lord, help this woman to fall in love with her husband again. That was it. That was the whole problem. The problem wasn't a biblical concept. The problem was not who was right. The problem wasn't one of the mind, it was of the heart. 
She didn't love her husband anymore. I mean, she didn't feel, and I, and I know, I, I hear you say, well, love is a matter of the will. Yes, love is a matter of the will, but friends, it is so nice to be loved in the heart. Isn't it nice? Isn't it great to have somebody appreciate you and love you from their heart? And you can say, yeah, but you got to do this and this and this and this, and what really matters is what you say. Yeah, that's true. But it doesn't cure any arguments. And it doesn't make anybody feel any better. As men go on, more and more your edification seems to you to be more and more important. But to them, it's less and less important. What they want is to be loved. Now, how can you do that? How can you do that? Scripture tells us it wouldn't leave you hanging in the air. Look at this passage again. Be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Let not your adornment be merely external. Let me ask you something, girls, gals. How long did you spend getting ready for church this morning? How long did you spend on your face? How long did you spend on your hair? How long did you spend in prayer? Whoops. Now, I don't want to lay a heavy guilt trip on you. And this can be done the Saturday night before you come to worship. But listen, if you don't spend as much time on your spirit every day as you do on the outside of your body, is it any wonder you have no spiritual resource? Is it any wonder you have trouble doing what God wants you to do? Is it any wonder your husband is not attracted to you spiritually, but instead he feels a sense of competition spiritually? I've got to be as spiritual as my wife, and I can't measure up. The braiding of the hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and the putting on of dresses, hey, that's not wrong. That's just not the point. Let it be the hidden person of the heart. Oh, I love that phrase. The person of the heart. What's the person of your heart like? What is it like? What is she like? With the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. When is the last time you were gentle and quiet around your husband and not come loading on him all the problems of the day? I'm not saying he shouldn't help you. Folks, we'll talk about that next week. But I'm saying that your part is not to develop him. It's to develop you. And you don't have to be competent for the rest of your life so that you will measure up to what you thought he needed in a woman. You don't have to make him competent. Men marry powerful women, but they don't want powerful women. How come sometimes married just men just go off from women who are competent, they know everything, and they are attracted toward people who have air for brains, and you can't figure it out. You know, what in the world would he ever see in that one? I'll tell you what he sees. He sees somebody who can just appreciate him. When was the last time you just appreciated him? He sees somebody who he doesn't have to race with as far as a competence level. That's what he sees. He sees relaxation and not having to do everything. 
that will make him better in your eyes that you're going to help him to do. Men get passive because they can get passive because they know their, their women will take over for them. Don't participate in that. There's a book out right now called The Peter Pan Syndrome, and it's about men who never grow up. Don't you let him stay a child by taking over his, as his mother. You don't have to be competent. And you know what? You don't have to be a sex object for the rest of your life. That's not the point of the Bible either. And I believe me, I admire people who work on their bodies. I work at least an hour a day on my body. I want it to stay as good as I can. I want to be a good steward of what God has given me. But folks, I'm a long way from a sex object, and so are you. Have you realized yet that you are not Bo Derek? <laughs> Honestly, have you, have you looked in the mirror and said, that, that's not Bo Derek in there? <laughs> and have you realized that if you try to be Bo Derek, you're going to participate in a losing battle? As my grandma Widener in Shelby, Ohio would say, honey, not only ain't you Bo Derek now, but as time goes on, you ain't even going to be Bo Derek as much as you ain't Bo Derek now. You don't have to be a sex object for him. You can be fun, and I hope you are, and I hope you are so warm and loving and exciting and all of that kind of stuff, but all of those artificial things that people try to tell you to do to keep your marriage alive, you have missed the point. If you're, and I, and I like Maribel Morgan, but folks, if you meet your husband wrapped in saran wrap at the end of the day, that's gonna wear off. Not only that, but the third time you're in the grocery that week, Buying six rolls of saran wrap, everybody's gonna know what you're doing anyhow. So, somebody told me in the paper that Maribel Morgan just wrote a new book called The Electric Woman, and what you're supposed to do is jump off the dresser as your husband gets out of the shower. Good heavens, don't do that. That'd scare me so bad, I'd never recover. Don't ever, you don't have to do that. Your job is not to be competent. It is not to be, not mainly competent, not to be a sex object. Your job is not to be a cheerleader. You don't have to stand at the door every morning and say, go, Herman, go. Go, Herman, go. <laughs> we, think, we, we, think you're, we, we think you're swell. We wish you well. Go, Herman, go. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Your job is to develop the person of the heart. There is a joyful spiritual being that is living inside of you that that's who you need to pay attention to. And the scripture says, if you do right, and that's what's right, you don't have to fear anything else. If you develop that person of your heart, listen, your husband will see a glow in you and something that is not threatening him, something that might have threatened him before, but he doesn't see there anymore. Titus 1.15 says, To the pure, all things are pure. You know, a husband would love to see you pure in heart. He would love to see you appreciate him from God's eyes. When I was growing up in Shelby, Ohio, and I'll quit in just a minute, there was a Mrs. Price. We went to First Methodist Church where, where, where ladies wore hats and fruit on their hats and feathers on their hats, and it was written, you sir, I guess right here. And Mrs. Price always sat two pews ahead of us. She always wore purple. And after the church service, everybody would gather for, not all everybody, the women would gather for news. And I'd like, to, you know, I was just a little kid, and I'd like to kind of hang around and hear what the news was. 
And when they talked about the news, it was always, did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear what so-and-so said? And Mrs. Price, bless her heart, bless her First Peter 3 heart. Every comment that came up, she said, well, he might have said that, but that's not what he meant. I know him. And he'd never say anything like that. That's, he might, maybe he was having an off day. But boy, bless his heart, he just so neat. She might have said that. She might have did that, but that's not what she meant. No, she's a gem of a woman. She, see? And you know what? Mrs. Price was a widow. But I could have seen if Mrs. Price's husband had lived how close they could have been because she developed the person of the heart. Please, women, where you are strongest, be weak sometimes. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, the Father says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Do not control with words your husband's love him. Just love him.